Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Wendy Dillard here. Today is Tuesday, June the 12th, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, your second daily dose of happy for the day. And uh, I have to admit, I'm a little bit discombobulated today. I, I am preparing to go to a book signing tonight. And I've been trying to get everything else out of the way so that I can just go there and have a good time. And Louise and I can go and meet with Anne-Marie and Mike, who are also contributors to the book. And, of course, when you try to do that, things get in the way. And that's what's been happening. But I'm trying to keep a, a happy face on. How am I doing so far, Wendy? <laughs> so far, you're doing awesome. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't quite going this this afternoon the way I wanted it to. But, you know, hey, we got the podcast going, so that's the main thing. How are you doing? How's your day going? I'm good, but tell me more about the um, book signing. Oh, yeah. Well, Anne-Marie, who is one of the uh, contributors to the book, uh, invited me to come to her operation there in Middletown, Connecticut, called the Buttonwood Theater. It's sort of an alternative cultural arts center, and uh, do a book signing. She suggested this actually back in March before the book was even out, and uh, I said, yeah, sure, You know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. And so uh, after the book came out, we set this date, and then I kind of forgot about it, because I had other things I was dealing with, and then with the weekend, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to go see Anne-Marie and Mike over the week. Oh, and I have to give a talk. Oh, and I better bring some books. And oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So um, I kind of missed what is the audience or, like, what kind of people are uh, coming for this? I, I can't tell you exactly. It's a very alternative kind of place. It's it's not um, like a formal theater in in the typical sense where you have a stage and you have uh, you know assigned seating in an arena format or something like that. It's a very small operation, but they provide really unusual and very uh, uh, local and homegrown type talent on a, a wide range of of music and uh, cultural interests. Um, there's even there's sort of a political bent, sort of a a, a, a little bit of a left wing political bent to it. There's um, a lot of spiritual type people who come through to give talks and, and give uh, uh, workshops and so forth. I mean, there, there's a wide range, but it, it's all about alternative arts, not your typical mainstream, but the alternative stuff. And it's interesting. It's it's really got its own identity. That's cool. So, I mean, yeah. do you know, like, is somebody performing tonight? Or, um, yeah, um, we are. <laughs> oh, we're, okay. We're like, it. Are you going to get up and talk about it? I are guess so, yeah. I mean, all I know at this point is, is I'm going to do a book signing and, and, you know, probably talk a little bit about the start of the book and so forth. And Anne-Marie and I had kind of talked about, well, you know, why not find out what Law of Attraction stories the audience members have? Because many of them are, you know, followers of the Law of Attraction. So uh, that's not interesting to me, too, to see what the audience has to say. Wow, well, I can't wait for tomorrow's show when you tell us all about what happened tonight. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to see what's going to happen. I mean, I don't really know myself. We we had talked about so many different possibilities when we were leading up to it. I remember at one point we talked about actually doing a podcast from the location, and then we we talked about uh, just doing as a book signing and then maybe giving a talk. And, and, I mean, it's been kind of all over the place, and I think it – basically reflects the fact that neither one of us has a clear idea of what we want to do. <laughs> but it's going to be fun no matter what, because if nothing else, anybody who comes and buys a copy of the book, they're going to get four authors there to sign the book. So, I mean, that's the best kind of, of, of book signing anyway, right? You get all the authors signing, or some of them anyway. Very good. Yeah. Okay, well, that's very cool. That's yeah. very cool. It's going to be fun, And I'm you don't sure. have to say, 
I received my copy of the book um, Friday. Oh, good. And it was so funny because my mother had just emailed me a couple days before because she had, I bought her a book and she had already received hers, which <laughs> I thought it was funny. I, I ordered them at the same time. She got hers two days before me. Yeah, that's weird. Um, but she told me, she said, of course I want to have my daughter's book. But she said, I was so concerned because I've had a hard time reading lately because of the print. And she opened the book and she wrote me and she said, oh, I'm so happy it's large print. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, when I opened my copy, I went, oh, you know, there is something for me that makes me so grateful when I see larger print. I mean, it's not huge print. No, it's not a typical it's large not print book, like, but... Yeah, it's not like the teeny weeny itty bitty print, no. you know, where they like try to save money by squishing as many words on the page exactly. and make it a teeny paperback. And there's no spacing between the lines where I'm like, oh, I can't even read it with with my prescription glasses, you know. <laughs> so I have to say that reading our book is really quite a pleasure because it's it's easy just because of how it's formatted. Well, thank yeah, you. I, I, that was that. a deliberate thing on my part. I wanted to make sure it was easy to read. I didn't want to make it your typical well large done. print book, you know, like 18-point type or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I wanted it so that, you know, anybody – I mean, I'm sure a large portion of our audience um, is not 20 anymore. And, you know, you get up to a certain age and various things happen to our eyesight. It, our, our, as, a, as an adult population, we tend to have slight levels of deterioration. Well, why should we – make it difficult for that segment of our readership to read it. That's the way I look at it, particularly exactly. since I'm in that ballpark anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to mention something about eyesight since we're on that topic. Oh, okay. Uh, I guess it was maybe a week or so ago. I was just having such a hard time um, reading uh, information on my computer screen. Mm. And, I mean, I know how mm. to magnify it and whatever, but, I mean, I have glasses that I use that are non-prescription just for – computer because it takes away the blue light i guess it is and it makes it more yellow and oh my gosh the moment i put those on my eyes relax sure yeah so that to me has nothing to do with actual eyesight that has to do with when you're sitting in front of a computer there's just way too much blue light glaring at you yeah it's strange but then I also have prescription readers that I usually use when I'm like looking at my cell phone because to me the print is very small on the cell phone and when I go back and forth between the different glasses, it just, it, after a while, it just starts to drive me crazy. And I was trying to read something the other day, and I'd been behind my computer screen, I will say, for hours. And I was doing a lot of reading and a lot of researching. And I felt like after a while, I couldn't see anything, no matter what glasses I had on <laughs> or if I had them off. And I was like, oh, my God. And it kind of freaked me out for a moment. Because I thought, oh, my God, am, am I just losing my eyesight altogether? You know, am I going to have to get, like, 14 different prescriptions for, you know, four inches away, five inches away, six inches away? I mean, that's really kind of what I was feeling. <laughs> but, you know, for as long as I can remember, I have felt as though I, I will be unique in that as I age, I want to grow chronologically graceful. And I want to have as much of my well-being intact as possible. Why not, right? Absolutely. And that so eyesight has goal. been well, eyesight has been one of those things. And it's funny because when I was 19, I was in college for fashion design where I was drafting patterns. 
And I, I'm such a meticulous perfectionist that like I would get really close to the paper, my <laughs> pattern paper as I was drawing lines. I know, shock, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and I started getting headaches. I mean, really serious headaches, one right after another, like one day after another after another. Ooh. So it was suggested that I go to an eye doctor. So I did. And he, he said, well, what are you doing? And I explained. And he said, well, honestly, he goes, you test phenomenally. He said, you have 20 slash five vision. I said, I don't know what that means. And he said, your farsighted vision is so fabulous that other people, um, like what other people have to be five feet in front of, you can be as far back as 20 feet and you see it as clearly as they do. And I went, huh. Well, now I know why I win all the um, – the games we play in the car when we go on vacation, you know, when you play the <laughs> alphabet game and you see things from a distance and you go, I got an A, I got an E. Well, I was seeing them way faster than anybody else. Now I know I, I want that. Yeah. But I, knowing that I had this incredibly fabulous vision, I, I mean, that's just what, I, that's my normal. Okay. And so meanwhile, he gave me a prescription and he said, the reason you're having issues right now is because he said, you're focusing so intently in a way that you normally don't. He said, you know, you're just straining your eyes and it's putting some pressure on your head and that's why you're getting headaches. So he gave me a prescription. And honestly, I was in that college for two years. It was a two-year vocational program. I wore my glasses for two years and then didn't need them again. So it was like, it was just for a very specific thing when I was doing that very specific, you know, pattern work. Mm Mm-hmm. And then fast forward into my mid-30s, and I went to an eye doctor because I was starting to feel like my vision was a little fuzzy. And he just laughed at me, which, I, you know, when doctors laugh, it's like, give me a break. You know, and he said, Wendy, he goes, your vision has moved to like 20 slash 30. He goes, people would kill to have this kind of vision. <laughs> I said, Oh, but that's bad. I used to have 20 slash five. This is not a good marker. And he just was like, get over yourself. And I'm just like, hey, you know, I didn't know law of attraction back then, but I do now. And what I could say with much clarity today is I can have whatever I want. This is true. (laughs) This is very true. So anyway, you know, I'm asking this eye doctor, you know, why is this happening? He goes, oh, you're getting old. And I said, give me a break. I'm 34 years old. That is not old. And he goes, well, no, you are getting old. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's incredible default thinking. This is you true. know, it's like yeah. he was just making this claim that that's just what happens. And I thought, you know, a lot of people in our society just take for granted that certain things happen as you age. Mm-hmm. And I've always had a belief. I mean, really, going back to my 20s, I've always had a belief. I will not age the way the normal population does or the average population. I will age like, you know, the movie Benjamin Button. Yeah. Okay, where he ages backwards, where the the yeah. old the longer he is alive, the more youthful he becomes. Right, right, yeah. And so I'm like, oh yeah, that's me. That's totally me. <laughs> okay. So, so now, oh maybe a couple of years ago, I went to the eye doctor, and he gave me a prescription, or we changed my prescription. And I will be honest with you, I was starting to fall prey to the default thinking because at this point I was, I'm at an age where almost everybody who's my peer 
is at least wearing readers, at least either from the grocery store or they have prescription readers, and they all have issues with eyesight. And I think I was falling prey to that. It's easy to do. And so the other day, like I was saying, I was sitting behind my computer and there was just no kind of vision I could have with glasses without everything was fuzzy, whether it was close, far and whatever. And I was freaking out. And I guess I eventually stopped freaking out and I got just kind of (laughs) uh, more centered. And I just had this sense, you know what, what I'm experiencing is old news. Don't know where it came from. Don't know why it happened, but it's old news because I hear Abraham saying all the time that whatever's happening in your three dimensional reality is lagging. It's like what's in your vibrational reality is more current. What you're in a feeling state over is more current. So I went, okay, this is all old news. And then I said something interesting. I said, is there something that I can be doing that can help to strengthen my eyesight in a way that will make me feel good and so that I can see whatever I want to see at whatever distance I want to see it at any time of day or night, whether in front of a computer, not in front of a computer. I want to have eyes of my youth where you know, when you're young and don't wear glasses, like I was, you know, anything I wanted to see, I could see. I could read the pill bottle, you know, and I used to laugh because I used to read it for my parents when they couldn't see it anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, you can't see this. And I felt so proud of myself that I could read, you know, font type number two or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, sure. And so I noticed over the weekend, I started doing this thing where it's not like my inner being said, do this. This is what I just started to do. Like, and now I'm thinking about it. Like, I think my body was literally prompting me without words. And so, okay, let's say I was waiting for something on my computer to load. I would purposely look away from my computer and I would turn my eyes, like I'd stare straight ahead, but I would let my eyes see all the way to the left, as far left as I could. And then I'd go as far all the way right as I could. And then I'd go around like the clock face, you know, five after, ten after. And I would move my eyes into different positions. And I would do it with a lot of intensity where I strained my eyes as far, like my eye muscles, as far as they could possibly go in different directions. And do you know, over the last couple of days, I've not worn the computer, take away the blue glasses. I've barely needed anything. Anytime my eyes have started to feel a little bit strained, I would do this thing where I move my eyes around in all the different directions. I'm even doing it now. <laughs> and it's it's kind of like, you know, with your body, if you haven't moved in a while, it feels really good when you stretch. Yeah. Well, I've been stretching my eyes. And I don't know where this is going to go, but I got to tell you, I have seen, literally seen, a significant change just since the weekend. Really? In my ability to see, yeah. Wow. And I've always known that the reason that I was getting, why my eyesight was getting funky is because I was fixating, literally, in the same position for so many hours that I was straining my eye muscles. And so glasses, a prescription, just simply allows you to see without you having to strain. And so I feel as though I'm strengthening my eye muscles now. 
so that they can do what they really want to do without having to either look through a magnifying glass, which I do sometimes, or have readers. Interesting. So I just thought I'd share that because that's kind of been how I've been led, but not in the typical way. It's not like my inner being has, you know, downloaded an idea or spoken to me or even given me the inclination. I literally was doing it when I realized, oh, what am I doing? And I'm like, you know, I've been doing this all day where every time my eyes got a little fatigued, I would just start to stretch them by looking in every different direction, like on, on the face of a clock, moving them in 12 different, you know, regions. So what do you think is so, going on with that? I mean, what, what, I mean, do you have any sense about what it is that you're doing that is making things better? I feel like I'm actually um, conditioning my muscles. Like huh. I'm strengthening my eye muscles. Okay, what just came to me now is lazy. Like, um, like my eyes had gotten lazy because staring, okay, sit, I mean, think about this. I'm sitting in a chair looking at a computer for 8 to 12 hours a day. My eye muscles don't have to do much except stare straight ahead. And so they weren't getting the practice or the, the muscle stretching of having to move left to right, you know, because like I, I actually sit so far back from my computer. I've always, because I've always had this far sighted, far sighted distance that I sit pretty far back. And at the distance I sit back, my eyes don't even have to barely move left to right to read across the page of an email. So I can are, see almost everything from my periphery. So are you telling me that people who have shifty eyes or people who roll their eyes all the time have better eyesight? <laughs> you know, it sounds like you, you never know. <laughs> and you know, sometimes I do purposely roll my eyes in in big, huge circles, but I do it so that I feel the stretch in my eye muscles. Huh. That's interesting. So I, I don't exactly know where this go is going, but I do know that it feels good when I do it. So that to me is it's number one. And yeah, keep doing it. Yeah, that's a good reason. And two, sure. I in less than three days. I have seen a difference in my ability to view whatever it is that I'm wanting to look at. That is freaking wild. That's amazing. Huh. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, like I said, it was, I, I've known for as long as I can remember that I would age in a graceful way, that well-being would be my natural state of being. And I was even aware as I was kind of playing with, oh my gosh, I think I'm buying into this default thinking that when you're older, you need glasses. And I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to change it at the, in the moment. But I did kind of throw, I know I threw out an SOS like, hey, I don't want this to be my normal. I don't know how to fix it right now. And I really didn't give it a whole lot of energy. But I'm like, change this. I want this changed. And it was one of those, you know, you set the intention and then you let it go. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a lot of attachment on it. But at the same time, it's something I wanted with great intensity. So very interesting. Very I'll pop in every now and then and let let y'all know. Because here's something else. Because I know I plan to exit my day job at some time in the very, 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 very like almost done near future. I was looking at, okay, while I have insurance, is there anything I want to take care of? So like I just had my, you know, my uh free uh, dental cleaning, which I do twice, twice a year, 
but it's like, okay, cool. Got that in because it, it's free for me. Um, I know the insurance company pays for it, but that's why I pay for my insurance. And then I got a postcard from my eye doctor that said, hey, it's time for your eye exam. Well, I get those every year and I normally just throw them away because I don't go just because a doctor tells me to go. I go when I feel led to go. But I've kept this postcard on my desk like there, there's something about it. I, I just wanted to hold on to it like, well, maybe I do want to go and maybe I want to get some new glasses before I change, you know, out of my job. And now what's coming to me is that postcard has been a daily reminder about my eyesight. And I've been asking every time I stare at that postcard, like, should I make an appointment with the eye doctor? And I continually get no, no, no. And it doesn't mean no, never. But like for that day, it's like, do I call today? No, no. And I, I will tell you, I really would like to never call my eye doctor again. I don't blame you. <laughs> I would I would like to know that following my body's natural cues are giving me what I need in order to restore my eyesight to the way I like to be able to see things with clarity. And I also knew that eyesight has to do with seeing things clearly. True. And it's a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. It is. And I said, I want greater clarity, period. I want to be able to look off into the distance of my future and see that my future looks bright. And I want to be able to look at my now and be feeling into my now, knowing that my now has great clarity. And everything in between, I want to be able to see when I choose to look at it in a way that I can see where my future path is, is being laid out for me, as well as enjoying where I am and even a couple steps in front of me. And it's like I can see myself looking at all these different um, landmarks in my life, where I am now and where I, I want to go in the future, and I want to see it all clearly. That's good. And so, by the way, since, since you're bringing up the topic of now, I just want to take a moment to, first of all, thank everyone for tuning in, especially our longtime listeners, the ones who have subscribed to the podcast and get all the, the episodes sent to their phones and play 30 to 45 of them a month, according to the statistics we get. We love you guys. We're so glad that you joined us. And I also want to take a moment to invite those of you who might be new, listening perhaps to one of your first or second uh, episodes, and invite you to become a subscriber. It's free doesn't cost you a thing. takes maybe a minute, maybe two to do. And all of the instructions are right there on the homepage at LOAToday.net. So you want to make sure you don't miss any of uh, the episodes, including the ones that I do with Old Eagle Eye over there, uh, because she has some amazing <laughs> insights. And you, you just don't want to miss anything. Plus, it's fun. I mean, that's why we call this the Daily Dose of Happy. We have fun with this. This is all fun stuff, you know? Yeah, we're talking about the law of attraction. But, you know, why does that have to be boring? Why not make it interesting? So, no, please join our club. We love it. We, we have a great crew of listeners. We have the best listeners in the world and, and we want you to be one of them. So join us. Just go to LOAToday.net. Do the stuff. Click the button about social media. Say, yep, I shared it with everybody else and, and you're part of the club. Welcome to the club. <laughs> I liked, Walt, that you talked about me having my insights because mm -hmm. I thought, insights. Insights, that's like, right. It's still, it's still vision, but it's looking inward and you that's know right. I love to do that's that right. too. Absolutely. 
That's kind of cool. So yeah, I'm I'm having fun right now just playing with the idea of what I see and how I see it with such clarity and purpose and meaning. It's quite awesome. I'm loving it. <laughs> well, then let's put it to the test. Let's, let's put it to the test because okay. uh, we're working on the law of attraction, the basics of the teachings of Abraham. And this next section is a little bit, I don't know, offbeat for them. It, it, I mean, it's not the kind of thing, it's the kind of thing I'd expect from Jerry. It's not the kind of thing I usually expect from Abraham. I mean, Jerry, I mean, he, he explored all kinds of stuff. So it doesn't surprise me that he was going this way. It's just interesting that Abraham decided to include this in the book. But I'm curious to know what you're going to see with your insight when you talk about this, okay? All righty, let's go. Uh, we're in part four, by the way, uh, The Art of Allowing. And the subsection is, but what about when one is violating another's rights? And Jerry asks, here's another area that's given me much discomfort in the past, and that is regarding the rights of one or another property rights, territorial rights, or rights to our own peace. In other words, I used to be extremely disturbed when a person's rights were violated by violence on a person or by someone forcibly taking someone else's property. I, I was also torn over territorial rights and who should be allowed into our country and who should not be allowed into our country. Why should one person be allowed in and another person not? But then, after meeting you, I got to the point that I see all those things they're doing with each other as games that they're playing, more or less agreements that they have been that they have between one another, spoken or unspoken. I've gotten somewhat better at not feeling their pain. But can I get to the point that I don't feel anything negative when I see someone violating the rights of another? Can I just look at whatever they're doing to one another out there and think you're all doing to one one to one another what you have somehow chosen to do? And Abraham responds by saying, you can. As you understand that they are each attracting through their thought, then you will be exuberant rather than feeling pain for them. For you will understand that they are repeating, I'm sorry, that they are reaping the negative or positive emotion depending upon their cho choice of thought. Of course, most of them do not understand how they are getting what they're getting. <laughs> and that is the reason why there are so many who believe that they are victims. They believe that they are victims because they do not understand how they get what they get. They do not understand that they invite through their thought or, th or through their attention. It may help you to realize that each experience causes a clarification of desire. Clarification. There is a word. There it is. Clarification. Clearly seeing. So it may help you to realize that each experience causes a clarification of desire. So what do you think of that? Well, I like that included clarification. <laughs> and I, I understand what they're saying, and I think I mostly agree with it. I know also that this overall approach that they take, that Abraham takes, is challenging even to the people who follow them. Because, I mean, how can you look at what's going on with somebody else and see somebody else suffering and feel exuberant for them? That, that seems almost cruel. I mean, were they really saying, I, I don't know that Abraham was saying you'll feel exuberant when somebody is in misery because you recognize that they're creating their own reality. I think it's more like you'll feel exuberant knowing that you don't, first of all, when you stay in your own lane and recognize we're all creating our own reality, 
that to me is something to celebrate. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember when I learned that I could be in control of my life. That was something I really went, oh, yeah, hello, I'm a control freak. Would I like to be in control of my reality? The answer is absolutely yes. <laughs> now, I didn't realize how much retraining I'd have to go through because I had no idea how much I was by default trying to control everybody else's world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when really negative things happen, like if a tsunami happens, I, me- I don't remember if it was 10 years ago, but there was a tsunami in the Middle East and it, it was horrific in terms of like the pictures and the whatnot that we were seeing. And, and just just even thinking about, you know, how people just died, like in the matter of an instant mm-hmm. when this giant thing of water came upon them. Um, but, you know, when you have broader thoughts and beliefs, where you take a step back and you don't look at things from such a uh, close-up viewpoint, and you realize that, and I do believe this, that every person who died in that tsunami chose to be there at that time, and they were willing to do that because they understood, or I should say, their broader self, their non-physical self understood um, what they came for and that they'll be back again. And that it, and the way sometimes we as humans look at things in terms of such a sense of fatality really isn't when it's looked at through our broader eyes, when it's looked at through the bigger picture. Yeah. And I think I agree with that um, for the most part. I mean, sometimes it's a little tough for me, but um, I've come to accept that what they're talking about there actually probably is the way things are. It probably does accurately describe true reality, not the reality that we see, you know, in the three dimensional world, but, you know, source reality, so to speak, source energy reality. And yet from the perspective of the average person who, like they're saying, doesn't even understand what the cause is, that sounds like a really harsh thing to say. And and that's not really typical Abraham. I mean, yes, Abraham doesn't have any fear about, you know, pulling, you know, not pulling punches. They, they, they're very direct in what they say, but most of the time they're, they're pretty, I mean, I don't know how much of this is Esther because she's the one who's doing the receiving, but they're, they're usually pretty diplomatic, as diplomatic as they can be. And in this case, that's what I'm struck by. I'm struck by the fact that they're just saying, I, we're not going to get all uh, worked up about the fact that people tend to feel pain. We're going to push for exuberant. And that's a big leap for us as human beings, well, particularly okay, when so we haven't been exposed is- to this. So here, I'm going to go back and reread the sentence where the word exuberant is there. Sure. It says, as you, under, as you understand that they are each attracting through their thoughts, then you will be exuberant rather than feeling pain for them, for you will understand that they are reaping the negative or positive emotion depending upon their choice of thought. So when I read that, I, I don't see it as you're going to be exuberant in their pain. Right, but more from a uh, a little bit bigger picture, you can be exuberant for them because it's about them having choice. And even if they don't understand it, I believe Abraham is trying to say to us, we all have choice, and we can reap the benefit of a negative or a positive emotion depending on how we choose to focus. And in that, that's something to be exuberantly excited about. Mm-hmm. That's true. 
Yeah, because that's an, an empowering position rather than a victimhood position. And that is a major uh, thing. I, I think there's something deliberate about their use of the word exuberant here. And I can't say exactly what it is, but I, I kind of think it's in the same ballpark as when they diss death. What do they call it? Croaking? <laughs> they want to be as disrespectful to death as they can be, so they call it croaking. Because there is no such thing as death. I, I think this is the same level kind of a thing. They're being not disrespectful, but they're they're being deliberately shocking because they want to really give everybody kind of a push away from this feeling pain for others. Well, you know, I've, I've been in experiences with family members and close friends when they were going through things that were very difficult. Mm-hmm. And... There were times, and I won't say I ever got like happy that they were in pain, but I had a different awareness that did give me a sense of joy, not because of their pain, but because I looked at it in terms of, you know what, they're reaching a bottom. They're getting so low and their pain is so deep that my hope for them and my prayer and the energy that I was holding out for them is that they would use that as an opportunity to pivot their attention and finally move in the direction of where they want to go and stop, like stop the badness, just stop the incessant, painful way of thinking and living life. Because we all have experienced both in our, for ourselves, as well as seeing it in others and watching it in the media where when people have really extreme pain, that's usually when they make a huge catapult in another direction, that the painful experience is what gave them a springboard to actually move toward what they desired because the pain was so bad. They were like, I, I'm ready to finally stop the madness. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, I will say that I do take delight when someone hits bottom. Not because I'm happy that they're feeling pain. I would never go there. But if that painful circumstances could possibly give them the wherewithal to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and say, okay, this madness is going to stop and I'm going to stop it now. Or it, it may come in the form of I'm finally ready to get help. I'm finally to admit that I really have a problem. You know, whatever it takes, wherever a person is in their circumstances, you know, if they can get to the point, like, I'm going to turn things around. Now, of course, I just heard something in my head. What about somebody who is experiencing something where they don't have, like, personal control, like alcoholism or whatever? You know, nobody who's an alcohol had somebody force alcohol down their throat day after day after day. Anyone who's a food addict doesn't have other people forcing them to eat. That That's a self self thing, you mm-hmm. know? But like, what if somebody's in a, a nation where they're being bombed or, or where just horrible atrocities are happening? No, I certainly don't take pleasure in that happening. But I also recognize that every person has choice. And so a person who's gone through some horrific circumstance, they still get to choose whether they're going to turn from it where they're going to run, you know, it may mean that they leave their family. I mean, there's all sorts of things that people might have different kinds of choices in front of them, but they do have choice. 
And, you know, there are beautiful stories from people in, in very, what we would call godforsaken countries, you know, where they live off of such meagerness. And yet there are still in, incredible stories of victory that people, you know, took their shame, pain, poverty, whatever, whatever we want to label their circumstance and found a way to find something beautiful in it. Some have decided, you know what, I'm going to be the one who stands in the gap for my country and makes a difference. You know, there are women who have said, you know what, women have no education in this country, but I'm going to make sure that it happens. And some don't ha have the physical ability to do it, but they spend their time focusing on it. And then somebody comes from another country and says, hey, we want to help you. And I believe that the person who was in their own poverty-stricken country who was believing that I know that help is on the way helped produce that. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's another piece of this, because as you were talking, and I agree with what you're saying, it doesn't make it any easier to deal with this exuberant word. But as I was hearing that, I was also processing in my own mind the fact that we don't really know what happens to somebody when they transition to the other side, when they die. I mean, we have stories that Abraham has told us, little hints. We've had stories that other spiritual teachers have told us, but we really don't know. We don't have like a body of, of information that we can uh, generally agree on. Yep, that's what that's what it's like afterward. And yes, there is an afterlife. And yes, there, you know, we go on and on forever and ever or whatever, you know, whatever the position is. We don't have the evidence of it. And lacking that evidence, our tendency is going to be filling the gap with whatever we can. And where are we going to go to first? We're going to go to, well, how about where they were before they died? And that's what we're going to judge based on. That's what we're going to come to our conclusions based on. It's no wonder that we have trouble with an idea like exuberant, because we don't have that evidence that we, we all strongly agree that, yes, this is where everything ends up, and this is where people end up who got you know, murdered by a dictator or something like that. Without that evidence, we fill in the gaps. We create the gaps in our minds, and we usually do so negatively. Now, I don't know where exactly I go with that, but that, at least in my mind, gets me closer to being able to accept this word exuberant. I'm not there yet, but it's closer. Well, and if you were my client, Walt, I would say if exuberant is a hard word for you to deal with, then for right now, let it go. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I'm not going to you know, let it eat me for lunch. <laughs> I'm not going to worry yeah. about it. But you're right. You don't, don't, don't want to get stuck in it, that word. But if it does feel like something you want to truly get a breakthrough and understand, then keep pressing in. Oh, I'll be, I'll be paying attention to it for a while. Because, I mean, that's, this is a first for me to see Abraham use that kind of word in this kind of context. And I'm curious about it. So, yeah, I'll, I'll have like a, a, an extra eye peeled for when's the next time I see a reference <laughs> similar to this. Which is actually doing pretty well, considering I have macular generation in one line, so I have one good eye. That means having another eye available, that's actually a good thing. <laughs> oh, so you have the sight. You have a full sight without having full physical sight. Yeah, right. <laughs> cool. Well, I've learned from you and from Cindy and Tom and Joel and David how to tap in more and more to inner being, as we call it, or what, what, you, you call it something, what you call it, infinite being? Is that what you were calling it at one point? Infinite being. But you know what? This weekend I started calling it, 
calling it. Um, I'm running through all the different words in my head that I've played with. <laughs> Something like, oh, my forever me. That's what I was like. I was liking oh, that nice. one. My forever me. Yeah. Because for, forever was is a more fun word to me than the word eternal. Eternal has a lot of spiritual connotations from my Christian days. Sure. So mm. I like the word forever. Um, and it's me. I've been mm. playing with that for a while. Mm. It's me. So my forever me, I'm just okay. listening to the my forever, the part of me that's my forever me. So anyway. Well, that's fine. Note, I mean, that's, that's what I'm calling it right now. <laughs> you, you, you say tomato, I'll say tomato. <laughs> it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Being, infinite, you know, inner being, infinite being, who we really are, broader self, you know, forever me, God, source energy, higher self, they're all the same. Mm. You know, they're really all the same. Now, some people, if they want to argue over it, that's okay. You know, I'm okay with them arguing over it. But for me, they're all the same. You know, when I was in a 12-step group, I remember being told, um, you can name your higher power anything you want. And so my dearest friend in that program, she called her higher power grandma. (laughs) Um, I know I have a client who calls her higher self the universe. You know, it's like whatever floats your boat, whatever causes you to feel the alignment. Um, I listened to an Abraham CD the other day, and um, this workshop person was saying that he he feels so close to the Mother Mary that he said it brings tears to my eyes every time I even think about the Mother Mary. Well, obviously, he has a one he has a positive connection to Mother Mary as love and and um, nurturer. And so, you know, okay, maybe his higher power, he calls Mother Mary. But it really doesn't matter what we call um, this spiritual being that's bigger than us, that we are actually connected to, that we are a part of. Um, I think the important part is that we have a connection. I agree with that. And I would also add that when I do my mirror exercises, I was trying to think, what do I call my inner being? I mean, I, I refer to it that way as inner being on the show here because we need a you know a common vocabulary. But I realized when I'm talking to myself, I refer to my inner being as you. And I refer to my physical being as me. I say, it's you and me. And I'm looking in the mirror and say, hey, it's you and me. I so like that. my inner being is you. <laughs> I like that. But it also gets confusing because now I'm talking to to Wendy and I, I say, Wendy, I'm talking to you. And it's all like, no, 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 not you, you. I'm talking to you. <laughs> the other you. The other you. Well, you know, and Abraham, Abraham often says that it's really all about the relationship between you and you. That's right. What's a capital Y? What's a lowercase Y? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so that's why I'm, you know, there's me and there's the forever me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I agree with you because really only when we're in conversation with one another and we're wanting to uh, express something about the communication we have with the other part of ourselves um, that's infinite that we need to even have a label because most of the time I just have a continual ongoing conversation happening and I don't like, you know, like um, in spiritual terms, if you're going to do a prayer, you know, some people begin a prayer with Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, just jump in and said, hey, God. You know, some people begin with Jesus or Allah or Buddha. Um, even when I was like in the Christian world, it felt really weird to me to start a prayer with a name. 
And I think it's because I had been in dialogue with this part of me for so long that there was always a running commentary, always a running dialogue going on, that to stop and make the prayer formal by putting in my higher power's name, I really only did for the benefit of the other people who were in the room while I was doing the out loud praying. Mm. I have to say that I have occasionally toyed with the idea of Mac. Hey, Mac, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) So your higher power is more masculine? Uh, Well, when I'm thinking that way, it is, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I think it was in one of the Seth books. And I think I've heard Abraham say this too, but I think I heard it more in the Seth books, that every one of us has lived so many lives that we've been murdered, we've been murderers, we've been royalty, we've been impoverished, we've been male, we've been female. You know, we've been black, white, yellow, brown. <laughs> you know? We've we've been here so many times and we've mixed it up and we've had so many different experiences. We've been mother, we've been father, we've been aunt, we've been uncle, we've been child, you know. And I just I find that fun and interesting. And the reason why uh any kind of bias is really ignorance, because we've been them all. Mm. Which Reminds me, have you seen the commercials? They're they're about DNA. I think they're quite fascinating, and I think they're very illuminating and, and quite educational in that, um, like, there, there's a group of people, and they're talking about what kind of races they like and don't like. And there's one guy who really is like, I hate Germans. I mean, yeah, I hate Germans. I think he's British. Um, and he just, whoo, big time, had a huge dislike for Germans. So he gets his DNA test done and finds out like maybe 10 or 15% of his DNA is German blood. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. And in that moment, it was like his eyes got huge and the light bulb went on like, oh, my God, I'm hating part of myself. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel right. Right. You know, and it's like when you find out what the mixture is of who you've been made from. There's no way you can really truly hate anyone because they're all, we're we're so connected. We're so incredibly connected. And when you look at it from the perspective of we've been here many times, lived many different types of lives in order to get a fuller um more rounded experience, you know, we've been everything. My wife is very much into um ancestry and genealogy she's been she's been spending quite a bit of time exploring that and to her delight she found a a a particular line going back that goes back to french royalty so she's her uh, her description about that is well no wonder i feel like a princess but But the funny thing is from my perspective i've all i've always looked at this stuff with i mean i i entertain it talking to other people and so forth but for myself i've always looked at it the same way I'm a mutt. I mean, we're all mutts. <laughs> we really are. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean, literally, no, we're so there, there's so much mixture in there. there. There's no purity. Nobody has a pure bloodline in the sense of always coming from one particular nationality or one particular family or whatever. You know, you, you go back. Well, think of it this way: you have two parents, you have four grandparents, you have eight great great grandparents, you have sixteen great great grandparents, thirty-two great great. I mean, it just starts getting exponential, and that's just your direct right. line. 
You know, you go back a hundred generations. Inc- you're you're, ta- you're talking about literally trillions of people. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. You know, and, so, you know, my little sister and I um, – go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to finish up by saying – so, I mean, trying to think in terms of whether I'm one particular nationality or another just seems silly to me. I, I agree. And my sister and I were talking last week, and we were just kind of talking about, about our family lineage. And um, she and I both know that from our, our, our family stories that my grandfather on my dad's side had changed his last name because – he married my grandmother, and she didn't like his name and really wanted him to change it. Mm-hmm. And she was just that stubborn. That sounded very much like her. Well, <laughs> when my father passed away about five years ago, I was the one to go through all of his file cabinets and whatnot, and I found um, like family papers that he had been saving from his parents when they had died. So I was looking through them the other day because I told my sister I would – I said, I, I could swear I have some documentation of when he changed the last name. And so I did find that. But what was really the fascination, because that, that was part of our family folklore, and I ha- now had the, the documented proof on the literal certification where it says officially name is now changed to, and it has the, you know, all the signatures and whatnot. But... The thing that blew my mind is on the flip side of that document was his citizen. It was his citizenship. So I'm assuming that because it was all in the same paper, that like when he took on an American citizenship, that's when he he legally changed his last name. Okay, well, that in itself was cool. And then I read the fine print, and it says original nationality. British. <laughs> and I'm like, British? The only thing I knew is that he was a Jew, because that whole side of my family was Jewish. And I had always been told that side of the family was Slavic, like Czechoslovakian, Polish. I knew that somehow they migrated to the States and he, they came through Canada. He said he was born in Montreal and lived there for five years and then came to Chicago, which is kind of where we all were for years. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up in Chicago, but I'm like British. Nobody ever in my entire family history do I ever remember anybody saying anybody came from Great Britain. And that just, I I don't, I can't wait to tell my sister I'm going to see her on Friday (laughs) just because that is an element of our history that was completely unknown to us. And if I had not found this piece of paper, that's very yellowed and, torn because it had been folded and, you know, folded at the creases. But the part that says British, there's no folding on that one. It just says original nationality, British. That's interesting. Whoa. Yeah. So that to me, and, and it's not that my family history is so important to this conversation, but that there are aspects of who we all are that we probably have no idea even if we think we know, there's probably so much more to who we are than what we think we know. This is true. Yeah. And and the fact is that, I mean, I have, we said uh, that our own families don't matter, and, and certainly that's true for mine as well. But it's, it's an interesting story. I actually have two great-great-grandmothers who I have their pictures. Now, that's pretty unusual, even to have one of them. I have two pictures of two great-great-grandmothers. And... The average person is going to say, well, 
know, that's pretty cool. I mean, you got your two great-great-grandmothers. Well, actually, I've got two out of eight. I have eight great-great-grandmothers. I've got two pictures out of eight. There are other six others I don't know anything about. And yet I'm way ahead of most people who don't even know who their two great-grandmothers are, let alone have pictures of them, let alone knowing that one of them used to have a parlor in Boston and the other one looks like she was probably Native American. <laughs> you know? So for all this information that I have compared to what most people have, look look how much of it is missing. There's like this huge gap in there that I, I have no idea. You know, I have no idea who the other That's six it. are. Well, and then I wonder, in terms of law of attraction, in terms of who we are that we've chosen to come into this incarnation as right now, how much does our family of lineage really determine or matter to who we choose to be today? Well, I think you'll get lots of different answers on that. But for myself, I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference. I mean, what what if you look back in your past and you find that you're directly descended from George Washington? And what if you look back in your past and you find that you're, you're directly descended from slaveholders, which, by the way, George Washington was? So you're going to feel good about it or you're going to feel bad about it? I guess neither. I mean, and honestly, <laughs> because it's like even if George Washington was in my family lineage, who I am today is who I am today. And I exactly. can't imagine that knowing that piece of information is going to really change who I am. Now, it does for Louise because it makes her more connected to being a princess, and I get that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, and there are some fun things. I mean, you watch some of these uh, genealogy shows, like Who Do You Think You Are and uh, what's the mm-hmm. other one called? Um, the one with Professor Gates, I can't think of what that one's called, but you know, some of the things that they found are just amazing. Like, uh, Matthew Broderick played a Civil War, uh, captain or major, I can't remember, um, in a movie, and I can't remember what the name of the movie was. We saw the movie, I can't remember it. And he looked back into his family tree with Professor Gates' help and found that he was descended from a, an officer who served in the Civil War leading, uh, uh, African-American troops, just like this guy did in the movie. So he basically wow. mirrored what his ancestor did. See, now I wonder, from a law of attraction perspective, how much of the broader, <laughs> the broader Broderick, <laughs> the broader <laughs> self, drew him to that to connect him to that family lineage. And it happens for a lot, too. That you and I, yeah, for something that we may never know what it's about. But yeah pretty interesting yeah there's a whole i mean um the two guys who did uh, goodwill hunting matt damon and uh, ben affleck mm-hmm. are i think something like 10th cousins they're oh, related really? to each other yeah wow. and by the way louise is also their 10th cousin <laughs> we found that out too <laughs> wow yeah that is pretty interesting. You know, so, so there's all kinds of stuff. I, I I don't think we can dismiss in any way uh, what came in the past. But I agree with you. What came in the past doesn't make us who we are. It helps us to understand how we're connected, but it doesn't make us who we are. Right. And, I mean, I have a really strong opinion on, um, oh, not heritage, Um like when people say, well, you're predisposed to a disease because it's in your family lineage. What, what's the word for that? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, and I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> what do they call it? It's, heredity. Heredity. It's genetic, it yeah. Is. Yeah, like genetic heredity. And right. it's like in that respect, 
Um, I totally get how, from an energy perspective, if if people in your family, especially if you knew them um, while they were still alive, talked about certain things or you were around them, you would definitely pick up the energy. And I know we can pick up the energy of a family lineage line, even if we never met them, even if they were deceased before we ever came on, on board. And so I kind of wonder if sometimes the purpose of understanding our lineage is to kind of, is to kind of uh, get a better understanding of how we chose what we chose and who we chose to be in a family with. Mm-hmm. Because sure, it kind of gives us a starting base for our energetics so that we can then choose a, choose away from them or to choose with them. I don't know. Just, just something I've thought about on many occasions. You know, like uh, people say, well, you're just like your mom. You're just like your dad. And I'm like, but I get to choose. I still get to choose. Yep, and the choice yeah. is critically important. It's it's the, the, the it's the deciding factor above everything else. I, I think about the fact that I mean, you see again on the the uh, genealogy shows, you see uh, actors and so forth who come on uh, African American, and very very often the difficulty is going back further than the Civil War because um, in the era of slave uh, of slavery there was very little to the point of almost no record-keeping of African-American heritage or anything like that. So trying to work your way back past like the 1860s is really, really difficult. And on those rare occasions when they can manage to do that, it's it's really something. It's an amazing thing. So I can understand, at least vicariously, that knowing more about your, your past I can see how that would be important to somebody who who sees that that one great big wall and beyond that they don't know what what happened before that. Um, I can understand why it is, for instance, that uh, people would like the idea of being able to have a DNA test done and to discover that uh, they have X number of uh, chromosomes that match up with this group of with this particular tribe in Nigeria or something like that, you know. So I, I can understand that, but it's also not my experience. All I know is whatever we draw from it is what we draw from it. And every one of us can draw something different. And I just realized we ran out of time about 15 seconds ago. <laughs> oh, but we started a minute late, so we can go a minute more, can't we? Well, we can. Yeah, you're right. We've got about a minute and a half left. You're right. Now that I checked the, the proper <laughs> clock. So, okay. So we get a little bit more time. That's good. Kind of, it's a fascinating conversation. It's certainly not the direction that I thought we might go in, based on what we were reading. Yeah, it's quite um, different. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, that's the thing that I I love about how you and I converse. It's like we can take something that Abraham is talking about and just take what you went with the word exuberant. Yeah, and off we ran. <laughs> well, it really caught my attention. I mean, that that was so unusual for them to make it that. Diverse that 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 stark of a contrast to where their listener was at and where they were trying to take them. That was really unusual. So interesting to see, though, to say the least. Anyway, yeah. I look forward to talking about this more tomorrow. I, I'm sure that the, the the following stuff is going to be probably somewhat related, so that we should be able to carry on this conversation. So look forward to talking to you then. I do too. And we will invite you all back as well next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye bye for now.